Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Thank you all so much for being here, for being uh, a church that's so willing to, to just kind of pick up and move. For those of you that are new, and there actually are some new people today, I, let me say first, I don't know why the person who invited you would choose today, and you should question them about that, because uh, we're not supposed to be here, but uh, this is so wonderful that, uh, that we get to get together. I've, I've had so many people just kind of light up with the idea that, wow, God just sort of moves us where he wants and does what he wants and provides for us. And it's just such a great reminder, not just on a corporate church level, but on a personal level, right? That, that we all sometimes have to pick up and move. We all sometimes have to do things that we're like, whoa, this isn't what I planned. And it's just amazing to come together and, uh, and experience it all, all like this. So uh, we're in a series right now called Untethered, and I am Danny. I'm going to be sharing with you today. I'm, uh, I'm excited. This is uh, week two of the series, and I just want you to know, based on the text, uh, the online messages, the uh, people at the door, the people I've met with this week, I don't know if our church has ever been as uncomfortable as we are right now. Uh, and, I, and I'm not complaining. I'm just letting you know that I feel you and that it's normal and that it's okay because to untether is, is kind of scary and to start looking at things individually and sort of how you have wrapped up and tangled your own identity, your own culture, your own worldview into those things is, is awkward because we, we know how things are supposed to be. This is what we do. This is how we do it. And uh, sometimes it's scary to take a step back and say, oh, maybe, maybe this is more uh, what I learned and not necessarily what God is teaching. And so uh, I'm in it with you. And uh, let me just say I got you. And more importantly, God's got you. And uh, for all of you who are like, please just don't just wreck this place. And I'm like, eh, it's not up to me. We'll see what happens. So, uh, but, I'm, but I'm in all the way. And I'm, I'm honored that you're, that you're uh, willing to, to take this journey with me. So uh, let's pray. And then uh, we'll just ask the Holy Spirit to teach us something. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for everyone that you've brought here. I know that so many different steps and experiences have led these people to this room right now. Within this room are people who are thirsty for you, people who are, are needing more than what this life is offering. There are cynics in the room, people who don't really know if uh, they're buying what you're selling, people who are angry with you, people who don't believe in you, people who have been calling out to you and waiting upon you, and you haven't shown up. There are people who are disappointed in you, people who are elated with you, and people, God, who just don't know what to do with you. And I think, Lord, you're okay with all of those people. I pray that through the Holy Spirit you would meet every one of those needs, that you would move these hearts closer to where they're supposed to be so that life can be experienced different than it is right now, filled with more sight, more hearing, more feeling. God, I ask that you would just continue to awaken us as you untether us into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to recap uh, last week. For those who are watching online, I think it's important, and also for some of us here in the room, uh, about what this series is. I'm not going to do this every week, but I'm going to do it week two because it's important for where we're going to go. Uh, Untethered is a series about learning to create space for questions, doubts, and beliefs. That's what it's about. So that's what we're going to talk about because that's what the series is about. 
So those of you in the room who are like, well, you're just sort of saying that, you're not actually going to share some of your doubts, are you? You're not actually going to share some of the things in your own life or stories that you've heard. I mean, we're here to move the faith forward, and we are, but sometimes I think our faith gets stagnant because we're not willing to look at it from a different angle. We're not willing, as some people say, to turn the prism, to see it from a different uh, uh, facet, to look at it from a different experience. Christianity, this is a great quote, is supposed to be a community where people can wonder out loud, a place where people don't have to park their injuries outside and the questions they have around them. This is what this community is supposed to look like. This is what we're supposed to be gathering every Sunday and throughout the week and in our homes to do, not just to get together to encourage one another. Those are usually the verses we like to lay out. We're also supposed to get together to talk about the injuries we don't share with other people in hopes that the Holy Spirit would bring healing to those places within our lives. That's why we're here. It's not about what the church has taught right or wrong. It's really important. A lot of people really enjoyed that part of last week's message. They're like, I want to hear more about the wrong stuff. And I'm like, that's fair, but we're going to untether from all of it equally and have balance. We're going to learn more instead how to begin the process of untangling ourselves from false thinking and warped worldviews. And yes, we all have them. We're going to unpack that throughout this series. Some of you don't realize that you have warped worldviews yet. And as a matter of fact, that's part of your warped worldview. Is that you think your worldview is the worldview. And, and, if, and here's the scary part of that. It's not just that you think... Everybody sees the world how you see it. Oftentimes people who are set in stone around their worldview also think that God sees the world how they see it. And this impacts everything they do. Because if God doesn't approve of this behavior, or God doesn't approve of these, this people group, or God doesn't, he, he, he feels how I feel about this, or he has anxiety about, uh, about this, or he has frustration and righteous anger about this, then you can literally stand on a Christian soapbox and demean other people in the name of the Lord. We all have tangled up worldviews, and we're going to look into that, and we're going to unpack that. The phrase we're using for the unpacking of that is to be untethered, to take a step back from the ship that got us here, like the astronaut we talked about last week, and look at the vehicle from all angles and really ask the Lord to show us what it is he wants us to understand better about it. We spent three different areas uh, of contemplation this week. And if you haven't done this, I encourage you to write them down. You can do it all throughout the series, but there's three important areas of contemplation for you to grasp onto in order to really truly experience a spiritual untethering and not just sit in your seats and listen to a guy talk. First, you have to awaken to the reality that we are all tethered in one area or another. This is true. This is, this is just, this is part of my job is sitting with people and letting them know that how they feel is normal. I don't know if a lot of you know this, but how you feel is normal. If you're a cynic, if you're a doubter, if you're angry, if you're frustrated, if you're confident, if you're peace-filled, if you're like, everything's fine, all those things are normal. What isn't normal is if you think that how you feel is standard and immovable and how everyone else around you should feel. So you need to awaken to the reality that we are all tethered in one area or another. Next, be aware that your personal untethering should never be done by anyone else but you and the Holy Spirit. This is me purposely disqualifying myself from untethering you. Because I'm not going to get blamed for where you end up floating out to. Okay, you're going to float out to wherever you end up floating yourself out to. Because it's only you that can unlatch and look at your life and how you see and how you view things. You're not going to blame me 
for that. But I am going to encourage you and I am going to show you how to move the lever and how to kick off. What happens from there is up to you. Your personal untethering is between you and the Holy Spirit. Lastly, accept that the process will be experienced best with a childlike posture. And I gave you a phrase to help understand this because the beautiful thing about children is they wonder out loud and doubt everything all at the same time. They're just awesome at this. And so I gave you this simple phrase, I don't believe you, continue. This is the best posture you can take to untether. I don't need you to believe me. I just need you to be willing to continue in the process, in the story. This is, by the way, a great posture for healthy marriage too. Total side note. Wonderful posture for healthy marriage is listening to your spouse and being willing to be honest, not stuff your feelings and buy everything they're selling. Right? I, I know a lot of dysfunctional marriages, and it's because one side of the marriage is like, yep, 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 and inside they're like, you are crazy. And they tell all their friends how crazy, but they never actually tell this person. Or, 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 or they just uh, demean everything this person's saying, and they're like, nope, 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 none of that has value. But instead, why don't you be honest and go, my heart, I, I don't know if I believe you. But you're valuable to me. Continue. It's a really cool posture to build a beautiful marriage. Because then you not only feel safe to share, you feel safe to receive. I don't believe you. Continue. That's that's that posture of a child. I don't know about all this. This is awesome. And I don't like that. That's a beautiful way for us to approach Scripture. So those are very important things for you to remember and I just want to encourage you to, to dive into those, to not leave those as we, as we go back through this process. Because everyone who comes to me and is scared or frightened, and I think that's, again, normal, uh, I want to just encourage you to go back to the process. Hey, maybe you untethered a little too early. Hey, maybe your posture isn't one of I don't believe you continue. Or, or hey, maybe you really don't think you have much to untether, and you really see yourself as kind of the north star in everyone's life. No wonder you have so much drama. I mean, that's a rough position to play. We're not supposed to do that. There's only one person who's supposed to do that, and that's who we're going to talk, to talk about today. For us to really step into this place of untethering further, we want to do it with wisdom, and that means we need a guide. No one in all of history has lived out a clearer example of an untethered life than Jesus Christ. He literally is the untethering master. All at the time of his birth, he was the exact opposite of those in spiritual and political power. These people ranged from the Jewish Pharisees and scribes who oversaw the spiritual aspect of, of really the culture at that time to the Roman soldiers and governors who oversaw the, the political and power aspect of people at that time. So the landscape was this. In one sense, as Jesus came on the scene and began to teach people how to untether, he was far more holy than those who held the highest places of holiness. Hebrews 7.26 says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. So Jesus is born a priest. He steps into this world holier than anyone else that has ever existed. He holds that position. Scripture says it. And in another sense, he is also far more powerful than those who hold the highest places of of power. Isaiah 9:6, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He was also more powerful than anyone that has ever existed. He holds both of these things within himself because Jesus is literally a living paradox. He is both God 
and man, he is strong and weak, defiant and submissive, undefeatable and vulnerable, all at the same time. People don't know what to do with that. And he is teaching the world, and he's teaching you, and he's inviting you to step into this untethering process. But the only way you can do it is to accept all of him. Some of you have only hooked up to different sides of Jesus. I don't know if you know that or not. Some of you in the room have only hooked up to the spiritual Jesus. He's a pacifist. He's uh, calming. He only talks in tones like this with large, breathy pauses. Others of you, you've experienced great tragedy. And I honor the, this, this side as well. And Jesus to you is powerful. Jesus to you is, is, is a God of retribution. I read an article one time about somebody who said, why would God uh, claim that he is the one who, who uh, goes out and, and makes sure that all rights are, or all wrongs are righted? Why would you want to believe in a God who says vengeance is mine? And they interviewed a woman who had experienced incredible amount of child abuse as she was sold into the sex uh, trade. And she said, if you've ever been sold into the sex trade and then escaped, you'll know why God's vengeance is so important to your soul. Because you have to know that people can't get away with that. And that's what brings solidness to your life. And that is valid and that is real. But you're not supposed to hook up to just one or the other. You're supposed to hook up to the whole person. And so you've got to allow yourself to understand that your story has taught you how to view Jesus when Jesus is wanting to teach you how to view him. He taught all kinds of things that were uh, paradoxical. He taught things like you need to labor to rest. <laughs> what? You need to give to receive. You're supposed to be enslaved to be free. You can find wisdom in fools. Hey, I would encourage you to yield so you can conquer. How about serve to reign? What about die to live? It just wasn't who he was, it was what he taught. The person and teachings of Jesus are so untethered and incredibly uncomfortable, there's no other way around it. And if you're not uncomfortable with the teachings of Jesus, my guess is you're only reading the verses that benefit your worldview. And that is offensive. Because if you read them all, you should come to a point with him. This is real life, and we're going to unpack this when we do the Bible in a few weeks. We're going to actually look at this just around the book of the Bible. But you should come to a point with Jesus, if you've really studied what, is, what he said, that you do what the disciples did, you do what the Pharisees did, and you do what the Romans did, and you go, what am I supposed to do with all this? These things are, this doesn't make any sense. This doesn't hook up with how I see the world and this life that I want to live. It's his life teachings and his lifestyle that we are told as Christians to follow. It's supposed to attract lost and broken people, people who want more out of life than just checking a box. People who want to experience the true nature of who they're supposed to be. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, So try to be like God because you are his own dear children. Love others as Christ has loved us. What in the world are we supposed to do with a disturbing verse like that? Try to be like God. Love people like Jesus loved them. This is all throughout scripture. Try to be like this. Try to be like this paradox that flows in and out of stories and just walks in and messes people up and then leaves. This is who we're supposed to be like. These are disturbing words. 
And they're disturbing because we have all been born with a natural, human, finite lens from which we view the world. We all are born naturally, as I described earlier, really, really attributing our sense of how things are to reality. This is pretty normal. We are born with these, as the Bible says, old natures, and they are incredibly dualistic and divided. Everything that I spend time around with people almost has to do with the concept of right and wrong, black and white, good and evil. Everything that I sit with in my office, people want to know where do they land and what do I think and what, what about this and what does that mean? And we want to divide things and balance things and have things make sense because that's how our natural natures are. The Bible speaks directly to these kinds of viewpoints, these common viewpoints. Ephesians 4.22 says to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. I like Colossians 3.3. Your old self has died and your new life is kept with Christ in God. Yes, Christ is now in your life. Over and over and over, the Bible is trying to show us that we are born with these natural tendencies. They're incredibly dualistic. We split the world into black and white, enemy and friend. And we, we, we side up, depending on our culture and what we were born with and what some guy on a stage with a microphone told us to be as a kid or how our parents raised us, that we, we slot in and then we do the best we can to run the race that's set before us, the rat race, not the spiritual race that Paul's talking about. Don't try to get into that with me. The actual just go to work, have kids, make enough to, in order to retire, have enough to go out once in a while, and don't be embarrassing. <laughs> Don't be embarrassing. I was at a place last night with some friends, and uh, it was five bucks to Valet Park. And for five bucks, this parking lot was huge. I was like, I'm doing it. I got to tell you, at the end, there was a huge line, and it was the oddest thing. You could sense people's uncomfortableness as different levels of cars pulled up underneath the covering in order for them to get in. You could feel it. It, it, was, it was odd. As a matter of fact, it was so odd, I took a step back just to watch. And the people who had pretty inexpensive cars or really cheap cars were fast to get in. I mean, they were like, thank you, boom. And the people who had really nice cars were super slow. Like, here you go, my dear. And it was like, oh, hmm. This is all kinds of worldviews playing out. And Jesus says this is normal and it's natural, but it all leads to death. For the old self is very fear-based and control-focused. It's always competing, like with the valet parking. It's also very easy. You don't have to try very hard to do it. It comes pretty natural. Pharisees and scribes, for instance, focus their entire lives around protecting the natural and easy systems and practices of the church. God gave them a way in which to function, to do church in the Old Testament, and they added hundreds of new laws to it. And only very few people could actually uh, accomplish those laws. And the more laws you accomplished, the higher and holier you got. For it was all about the spiritual car you drive. And they would pray on the street corners and they would walk through town and they would help people. And they would recite the hundreds of laws they'd memorized. And their spiritual pedigree was epic. And people would walk around them and want to be near them because it was natural. These people had accomplished a very natural thing. They had put themselves at the center of everyone's universe. They were the gatekeepers. They were the deciders of who's in and who's out. (laughs) And then Jesus comes along. More holy, more powerful, not black, not white. Very uh, 
gray. He's just altogether confusing. The things he says to the Romans don't make sense. The things he says to the Jews don't make sense. He eats on the Sabbath. (laughs) He heals on the Sabbath. He goes into the temple and hurts people with a whip. Which I've always enjoyed that one because it's not as if he just produced a whip. He had to see what was going on and then walk out behind a barn somewhere and make that thing. Like, I am not going to have, hold this for me, Peter. This is not going to work for me today. Like, this wasn't a sudden thing. Like, he had to go, I mean, he had to go find something. Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, Jesus saw the scenario. It says he drove the money litters out with a whip, but it wasn't like, what's happening? Give me the, you know, whip. Like, he had to go find a whip, buy a whip. He had to think about it. It makes no sense, for he is all peace and love, and he's never, ever, uh, uh, conflict-driven, and then he does this. What do you do with that? All my pacifists in the room. What do you say to that? Like, well, it was righteous. Okay, he's still whipping people. It's an amazing thing what he did. He walked in, and he messed everything up. He claimed that instead of the old lens, he was the new lens by which the world was supposed to be seen. Gospel writers have referred to this lens as the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 and 16 say the natural person, okay, the the existing person, the, the place that you naturally go, that I naturally go, does not accept the things of the Spirit for God. For they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the Holy Spirit in our lives that takes all of these scenarios and all of these ingredients and bakes them into a worldview that is God-based and God-driven. This is the beautiful gift that Jesus is bringing. And I'll put it up there. It's an invitation to step into the untethered paradox that he always has been just as we currently are. You don't have to change anything. You don't have to dance a special dance. You don't have to memorize a bunch of codes. You don't have to be, ready, special people singing special songs, saying special words. You just have to accept that the way you view the world and the way the world goes is not how it's supposed to be. And you have to accept the paradox, the God-man that is Jesus and what it is he wants you to become. This is the exact reason I said last week that from a general point of view, Jesus was the worst rabbi ever. Following Jesus made no sense for he did all the wrong things with all the wrong people. He talked to the wrong people. He sat with the wrong people. He, he, he ate dinner with the wrong people. Like he, it was like he went into town and found the worst of the worst and said, hey, you want to go hang out? I mean, it just makes, it, it just, it's just confounding to everyone that's watching him. He tells stories. Lots and lots of stories. And every one of these stories has one really simple agenda, and that is to reframe how we both see him and ourselves. To reframe God's character, to reframe how the world is in need and what this God came to to bring. Uh, I like the story in Matthew 22, 1 through 10. It says that Jesus is speaking to them, and I'll read it to you. It's about a wedding feast. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. 
And he sent his sons, he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business. Both very, by the way, natural things for people to do. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Also a very natural thing to do. It's like you have two different responses to the invitation of God. You either seize them, and you hate them, or you ignore them altogether. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned the city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Verse 9, listen carefully. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went into the roads and gathered all whom they found, listen to this phrase, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Jesus is completely untangling our concept of what it means to be in community with him. He's untangling something very difficult for us as believers to accept. And that's this reality that everybody's invited to the wedding feast, but the celebration isn't going to look like you and I want it to. He's saying he is going to mess this up. He is going to be sitting with and encouraging us to sit with people that don't look like us, feel like us, think like us, believe like us, smell like us, spend like us, relax like us, and maybe even worship like us. Maybe they don't raise their hands like all you crazy people. Maybe they don't stand. Maybe they sit in the back in the parachute seats, which, by the way, are the seats when things get too intense, you just pull your rope and go, I'm out. What if this didn't look like a well-managed club? What if church wasn't quite this organized? And I'm not talking about a system of, of, of well steward, stewarding well or, or, or having, you know, good things. But I'm talking about what if the Spirit was able to invite because the people were willing to receive all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds to worship this God who invited them. The wedding is packed full. It's full of tangled, wretched, and loved people. This is what our church is supposed to look like. We're supposed to experience things this way. We're supposed to be a little nervous about who might be sitting next to us because we don't know how they're going to respond. We're supposed to be in a community that isn't completely uh, uh, streamlined and, 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 and easy. I think, I think maybe Kess is a little too easy right now. And, I, and I'm, I'm not trying to say that in order to purposely throw, you know, stones in your soul. But, but I sure hope some thrones get, stones get thrown because it, I, think, I think we're doing a little too well right now. Even the fact all of you showed up, I mean, you're just too committed. And it's beautiful, right? And it's good. 
But it's only good if you're committed not to the organization, not to me, not even to the philosophy. If you're committed to the untethering, untangled, wretched and loved people that God is calling us to receive. God is calling us to go after. That's why I need to mess this community up. That's the whole point of this entire thing. Is we might have some stuff that we've held on to that God doesn't need. It's important to us, but it's in the way of the people. So we are looking at the guide, and we're looking at the one who invites. Think about the thief on the cross hanging next to Jesus. Just a few hours before he's dead, one on one side says to Jesus and curses him and, and is basically just in full contempt of, of who Jesus claims to be. And if he was, he would get himself down and it would be all these things and all these expectations and all these worldviews. And this man obviously was clearly traumatized. He clearly made choices that brought his life to a terrible end. But on the other side of the cross, there's another man. And he's listening and he's hurting. He's, in, he's agonized inside and out. But as he listens to Jesus speak his words, he turns to him and he says this. And he said to him, truly, well, he said something earlier. He said, Father, forgive me, will you, can I be with you? And Jesus says this, and he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. This is an incredible, incredible picture of who Jesus is, because this man requested an invitation to the wedding. He wanted to be in, in spite of everything he was. No baptism, no communion, no good deeds, and he's still attending the feast. Where are those people in our church right now? Where are they? Some of you might be those people. My guess is, though, most of us are the people at the foot of the cross. We're confused about this man who's hanging up on this wood. We don't really know where his story interacts with our story. We certainly don't see ourselves crucified up with him because that worldview is a very untangled, a very untethered, a very wretched worldview that takes a lot of work to get to, to see yourself on the cross with Jesus. Most of us, if we were lifted up on the cross with Jesus, most of us would be like the other thief, I believe. We'd be upset, we'd be angry. I decided to follow you. My life was supposed to be different. Why are you such a paradox? Why don't you just give me what I want, make all this hard stuff go away. But the man on the other side who's truly untethered looks back at his life and realizes how much need he has always had. He sees Jesus as the great meter of that need. And so he asks him for an invitation. He has nothing to offer but outstretched, pierced arms. Jesus receives him. Where are those people in our church right now who have freedom to look at themselves in that way? Who don't have to, as I said earlier, park their hurts and their doubts and their questions about this whole God thing. Who can come in and go, I don't know about this, but I like these people. That's the phrase I'm waiting for. I want to fill our church with seeking atheists with seeking spiritualists 
with people who want to know who this Jesus is, and the only way they're going to meet him is through you. And that is going to make us radically uncomfortable. But this is where Jesus went. This is where his disciples went. They walked into cities and sat with people who had questions. They didn't sit with anybody who had answers. No one. They didn't even go to their church very often and actually listen to the rabbis teach. For Jesus was like, I got this. Let's go sit with people who have questions. Let's go sit with people who have concerns. Let's go sit with hurt people and tangled people and wretched people. And let's love them. See, you think the invitation is just for the thief on the cross, and it's easy to do that. But what you need to remember is just after Jesus breathed his last breath, across the hill, down in the valley, there's a tabernacle, and it's pristine. It's filled by those, those rabbis and those priests and those people full of answers. The great gatekeepers of mankind, and they're standing before a huge, thick curtain that keeps everybody else out of those, that holy of holies, that place where God sits, when really God was hanging on a cross, just a stone's throw away. And as Jesus breathes his last breath, that curtain rips, bottom to top, top to bottom, sideways, diagonal. It rips a lot. <laughs> and the idea is that it's now open. And that God is extending through the death of Christ an invitation to us still today to be part of his holy movement. But it's going to require you sitting in the paradox of who he is. That he is a peaceful warrior. That he is a loving confronter. That he is a commanding waiter patiently sitting he is all the things that you're wrestling with and he has all those answers and he is inviting you into his presence but it's going to take you untangling yourself from your own this is who our church is supposed to be I've done a lot of Shrink the Church sermons over the years. I don't know if I've felt one quite as strongly as this. When we move to uptown Vancouver, our world is going to get thrown upside down. It's just going to happen. I truly believe in my heart now that God has slowed us down in order for us to really understand what he's giving us. Because there are people down there that will only give us one shot. It's going to take one nasty look from you when they walk through the door and don't fit in. One nasty look from you to go, they're just like everybody else. And so with great love and respect, if that's who you are and you believe that's right, this probably isn't the church for you. The mission is just too important. Jesus is guiding us to this place. And I'm excited to follow him, but I know it's going to cost. So my challenge for you this week, like last week, are three things. First, I'd like you to sit this week with this question. Who have you disqualified from attending? 
Who in your world have you disqualified from attending? And stop saying there's nobody because there is. I've disqualified people from attending. I'm just untangled and untethered enough to admit it. There are people I've disqualified. If they walked in, I'd be like, oh, no way. I got to evaluate that this week. So who have you disqualified from attending? Next, who do you refuse to sit with at the table? Who have you not disqualified, but you're certainly not going to do life with them? I mean, someone saw me have a coffee with that person. I don't want to sit with myself and have a coffee with that person. Just be honest. It's hard, but it's where Jesus is leading us to. Lastly, based on who you've disqualified from attending and who you refuse to sit at the table with, and if you've really truly decided that this is how you're going to be, if Kesed is your home and this is where God has brought you and you're willing to walk through this process, what are you going to do about it? I don't think you can have that answer right now because we got six, seven more weeks of this process and then lots more learning to do. But I think it's a fair question to recognize you don't just get to think it, you actually have to step it out. This is the church. And these talks right here, by the way, based on Jesus and where he's been leading us, they're 2,000 years old. This isn't fresh and new. I'm not provocative and, and, and I don't have eyes to see. I'm just looking at what Jesus did and doing what Jesus did. And I know it makes religious people uncomfortable, and so I'm at least admitting that. Because I'm religious. I like this system. I'm good at it. I'm tired of being just good at it. I want to see people's lives transformed and not people I expect their lives to be transformed, but people I can't even believe. I want to pull people on stage and show you what your love did and what the Spirit of God did to transform people further into the image of Him. But I think in order to do that, we got to unpack this place. We got to remodel it. We got to tear it down. We got to untangle it. We got to accept that we are not at the foot of the cross and we are either on the left or the right claiming that we have all the answers and can't believe this is really something he wants us to do or recognizing there is nothing we can do we're just hanging here with you and we love an invitation we'd really like to be part of what you're doing God we'd really really like to be part of what you're doing and you're doing it in other countries and you're doing it in beautiful places and we want to be part of what you're doing and if that means you dismantle my heart, if that means you untangle me, if that means you make me rethink things and re-see things and I feel a little less good at it because it's so new and uncomfortable for me and how I was raised, then so be it. I want to be a part of the feast and the celebration that you're throwing. And so be my guide, be my Lord, and take me there. That's my open-eyed prayer, by the way probably bother you because my eyes weren't closed. That's something you should untangle from. He's not really praying. His eyes are open. I don't know if that's in the Bible, people. Okay, we got to unpack all this stuff. (laughs) I've been praying this whole time. I'm just about to start my sermon. You have no idea what's going on. (laughs) We're going to close with a a prayer, a closed-eye prayer. So will you stand with me? This is about you and your seat right now. This isn't about anything else. And so I want you to close your eyes in order to focus, in order to just sit within yourself and how this makes you feel. I want you to recognize whatever's rolling around inside your chest or inside your head, whether it's anxiety or excitement, fear, frustration, anger. Maybe you're trying to think where you can go to church next week. I want you to be really where you are. 
And together, I just want to sit in this place and ask him to show us what it might look like. What it might feel like. To be in a church contaminated by the Holy Spirit. To sit next to people that that can't believe they get to sit next to us. To feel the presence of God nudge us, push us, and for some of us, drag us into this celebration, not because we're worthy, not because we memorized everything, not because we did a good job, but simply because he loves us. This is what an untethered church looks like, full of tangled and wretched people just like us, filled with God's love and so made worthy. This is the feast we're having. And Jesus is asking us to be his invitation bringers. He's waiting at the door with missions, with people at work, people on the street, people who are our neighbors, our family, our friends, people who were hurt by church that wasn't willing to sit next to them and walk with them through their doubts and fears. And he's saying, bring them. He's saying, have faith, step out, I'll meet you there. Don't be so busy with your business or the things that make you feel numb inside so you don't have to experience the true reality that you need God and you need to be someone who shares with other people who needs God. Come to the feast. Don't ignore it. God, we ask that in this room this would be more than just a church service. It would be life-changing for us. It would be eye-opening, heart-breaking, mind-altering, spirit-wrenching that we would awaken, Lord, no longer asleep, as Scripture says, that we would be uncomfortable for you. We love the path you've laid before us, but it is narrow. Lord, I feel in this room there's a group of us that are willing to walk it, whatever that costs. We are grateful, we are thankful, and we praise your name. May you walk with us this week as we ponder these things. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. We'll see you next week. We're back at Clark. And uh, have a great week. Ponder these things. And God bless.